Hi, I'm Jake Morecambe, host of Think Sustainability. 2SCR is in its supporter drive and we still need your help. If you're a fan of the show or 2SCR radio, it's your time to show your love for the station, reach into your pocket and send a donation our way. It can be tax deductible and also to the amount you choose. Jump on 2SCR.com forward slash donate or give us a call if you're in the Sydney area, 9514-9500. Today, we'll be bringing you an old show, one produced by Miles Herbert. Enjoy. This is Think Sustainability. I am Miles Herbert. Today, we are talking about a war, a war happening in your backyard, Australia's war on feral cats. Hello, I'm Gregory Andrews, Australia's Threatened Species Commissioner. Australia has been experiencing an extinction crisis. The science is crystal clear that feral cats are the single biggest threat to our mammals. So we need to act on that threat. In 2015, Australia took up arms and declared war on the feral cat, planning to kill over 2 million cats by 2020. On one side of the battle are Australia's native species. The government has rushed to the defense of mammals like the bilby, bandicoot, and pygmy possum, who evolved in this continent without natural predators, and whose entire existence now hangs in the balance because of the presence of new predators like the feral cat. Feral cats have already been implicated directly in 20 Australian mammal extinctions, and that's why the Australian government, as part of the threatened species strategy, has some very ambitious but achievable targets to tackle feral cats. Gregory Andrews has not shied away from the word war. He used it himself when he announced Australia's threatened species strategy. And the strategy itself looks like a military approach. You can often hear helicopters, as armed hunters with flashlights and rifles, patrol Australia's national parks at night, hoping to shoot down the invasive species. And down on the ground, as you walk through the bush during the day, Signs alerting you to the deadly poisons are not an uncommon sight. Let me be 100% clear. The threatened species strategy is not targeting pet cats. The cats that are culled are being culled in remote areas in Australia and they're feral cats. On the other side of the conflict, you have the estimated 20 million feral cats that roam the streets of Sydney and wander the Australian outback. But the cats are not walking into the battle alone. Cat owners and animal welfare activists have been quick to jump to their defence. The government is vilifying cats right now, especially the Threatened Species Commission. I actually personally asked him at a roundtable a couple of months ago, why are you vilifying cats? He didn't give me a straight answer, other than saying, no, I don't vilify cats, I love cats. I this is Alex cats. Vince. So I work for Animal Liberation. If Australia is at war with feral cats, Alex is at war with Threatened Species Commissioner Gregory Andrews. So basically we focus on the rights of all animals, regardless of their status or what they give to us. But we also work to protect the rights of so-called invasive or pest species, which is the thing that I am most passionate about. When the Australian government sees a cat, they see a problem. But whether it is feral or not, Alex sees something different. Well, I live with what would have been classed a feral cat. She was found in a colony. She was rescued. She, she was treated. And I was her foster dad for two days. And I 
have never met an animal with a heart like that. She, she would have been called feral. She would have been on their kill list. But now she's living with me and she has the heart of gold. Do you think if, so who is the, um, the commissioner, the guy? Gregory Andrews. Do you think if Gregory Andrews spent time with, sorry, what was your cat's name? Piggy. Piggy. Yep. Do you think if Gregory Andrews spent some time with Piggy, he would see things differently? I would love, I would love to him, for him to meet Piggy. I invite him right now to meet Piggy. If he wants to come and meet what a feral cat looks like, what a feral cat can be like with love, I invite him. If a cat grows up, is born in the outback or is born without any human contact, I'm sure that cat is going to be different than a domestic cat. That doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't mean that they should be killed. It doesn't mean anything. It means that's who that cat is. Mm. You have no right to kill. By nature, are sharks aggressive? No, they're not. They're not. So, so this is mushrooms growing out of a wasp. I mean, we're just, we're exposed to literally thousands of synthetic chemicals just in our everyday life. My family is normal. I just think, oh, every family is just three people. So if we put hair inside bricks, it will be like insulating your home. Hi, I am Miles Herbert. This is Think Sustainability, where we look at sustainable futures for a better planet. Today, we are looking at Australia's threatened species strategy and their plan to cull 2 million cats by 2020. I am joined by producer Joe Koning. We wanted to find out what a feral cat looked like, if they are really tsunamis of violence and death, like the previous environment minister Greg Hunt said in 2015, or if they are more like Alex's beloved piggy. So we left the studio, and we went to the shelter at the Cat Protection Society of New South Wales. Yeah, that's good. And, um... Can I start recording? No, that's fine. Okay. We both ask you all to... Of course. Do your hands. We can do so our hands. Joe, did the cat to the shelter fit Gregory Andrews' description? Well, I'm not sure what Gregory Andrews sees in his head when he sees a cat, but to me it looked like they're all good cats, Miles. Well, I'll just open the door. We won't go in because of the procedures around infection, but you can see these guys oh, are... Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> There's actual cats. <laughs> this is Christina Vasque from the Cat Protection Society. All of them have a unique personality... Um, there's there's a basic sort of line from shy to bold in terms of cats, and, and that's genetic, inherited from their father. Jin Jin, honestly, I know we've heard from you. There's so many things to say, isn't there? Can we have a chat with Jin Jin? Perhaps not, because she does um, like to escape, and also she doesn't like other cats, so mm. she'll go and... Unfortunately, we didn't get to meet Jin Jin. She had to stay in her enclosure because she doesn't really play well with other cats. I was so devastated. We did get to meet another one at the residence of the shelter. If you want to come in the back room, I'll bring Bishop out. Yeah, amazing. And then we can... Just have a quick chat. We can Bishop. Oh, <laughs> so Bishop was found on the streets of Sydney, and it's just one of the many cats in Australia that does not have a home. He could be considered feral by the Australian government. He's a tabby and white. He's got very long legs. He's very handsome. White socks. Little white chin. Little white bib. And, yeah, he's very affectionate. And, yeah, just a really beautiful cat. Very confident. We'd love to talk to you a little bit about how the Australian government views cats and, you know, potentially maybe not cats like Bishop, but what you guys would might consider a friendly stray, but what the Australian government might consider something feral or invasive. 
Well, I, I think the problem is that cats are there are the one species. So the feral cat lives in an environment where they have no dependence on people, but they are exactly the same species as the domestic cat. I think we have a duty to look after them, and I don't think that it's a fair response to call an animal a pest when they're our companions. I, I don't know that the labelling is helpful at all. Cats were first called pests in 1999. In the eyes of the Australian government, the word pest is used to describe any animal that causes harm to native species. Mammals like the fox, rabbit, and deer are all called pests or feral. But in Australia, it's more than just a label. If you've got a species that's declared a pest, that all sense of welfare towards that conscious individual goes out the window. This is Daniel Ramp, Associate Professor and Director of the Centre for Compassionate Conservation at the University of Technology, Sydney. Dan thinks the way the government describes these animals vilifies them. And the language they use, like pest or feral, it makes you think of something like a cockroach, something that is easy to step on, something that should be gotten rid of. And according to Daniel, it ends up making it easier for the government to justify their killing. So when people are making decisions that then try to prevent one species from going extinct, there might be quite a a large cost on individuals of other species. And what that means is that a whole lot of species get a lot of pain. And it's been pretty easy to turn cats into the enemy. Cats in the wild do need to eat, and they do prey on native species. So the government vilifies their natural instincts as hunters. But Ramp doesn't think cat survival instincts makes them the bad guy. (laughs) I don't, look, you know... I don't think anything's the devil. I don't think anything's evil. Um... In fact, he thinks their role as predators play an important role in Australia's evolving ecosystem. All of predation, okay, is a, a natural ecosystem function, and it's very important to maintaining healthy ecosystems. So if any of the listeners out there have had a cat that's bred, you know that they can, they can have a, a rather large litter. In the wild, in stable populations, most of those babies don't survive. But when you go out and you um, cull individuals, you actually can promote population growth. So the Australian government, by culling cats, they're actually increasing cat populations? So when you cull individuals, you're actually reducing the, the number that are out there. But what that does is it releases pressure on babies that are born into that population. And so normally what we find in many species as that when they have a litter of say six kittens or something that only one of them will survive but if you take out individuals and you release competition you you make greater food availability and you um, reduce territoriality then those all of those kittens survive and so we know regardless of whether it's a cat or a pig or a deer or whatever it is that when we go out and we employ these culling operations that you can actually promote growth So you're saying even if the eradication of cats does work, it can also promote population booms of other species? Exactly. Cats are not the only mammal the Australian government is currently trying to control. They are currently trying to reduce the number of dingoes by employing the same culling techniques. Daniel thinks these culls are actually making it harder for native species to survive. We currently, in New South Wales, treat dingoes as synonymous with wild dogs. 
and wild dogs are a declared pest and so therefore we go and take out all our dogs. Dingoes suppress foxes, means they control their populations and, and as well as cats. By shooting, trapping and poisoning all of these species, we're in fact destabilising them. If we just stopped poisoning and shooting and trapping, we would find that there would be greater opportunities for these native species. So while Gregory Andrews and the Australian Office of Environment and Heritage say their methods are backed up by science, Ramp thinks they may just be looking for someone to blame. And we often look for scapegoats, and there has been some suggestion that the red fox and the domestic cat, uh, amongst other species, when they've been brought into the Australian continent, have caused some problems. I guess the issue then is, are they the sole reason that, that we've had those extinctions, or are there other things that have caused those changes? And so it could be land use change that really is the primary driver. Maybe those other things are just tip of the iceberg. Around 5,000 square kilometres of virgin bushland are cleared in Australia each year. And in the last 200 years, the same period of time cats have existed in Australia, humans have cleared over 45% of its open bushland and forests. So what if humans, not cats, are the reason for the decline of Australia's natural wildlife? I get that all the time as a UTS lecturer. Like, I get students asking me these really cool conceptual questions like, what if we are the invasive species? And you know what? They're actually right. We've been to every island and continent that I know of, and we're the only species that has actually built our own thing and gone and sat on the moon. So we are pretty invasive. This is Dr. Megan Phillips from the University of Technology, Sydney. Primarily, I'm a botanist, so I love plants. I do a lot of research on plants. Phillips believes the presence of invasive species and humans are directly linked. I think it's interesting when you have a look at where invasive species are found in Australia. So we tend to find invasive species in what we call disturbed habitats compared to undisturbed. So places like roadways, trainways, and any place where there's a lot of human activity, basically wherever we disrupt something, invasive species tend to come in and capitalise on that as well. So it's rare that you would find an invasive plant, for example, in the heart of a forest that humans don't go to. But she's not ready to take the full blame for the decline of Australia's native mammals. And I say this as the owner and lover of two fur cat babies myself, so I understand that there's responsible cat ownership and also feral cats out in the wild. She thinks the introduction of cats into Australia's ecosystems is having a detrimental effect on the mammals she loves. They do eat a lot of native mammals. I think that there's some research from the University of Sydney that shows that in a single day, cats can consume dozens of small native mammals and reptiles. They're quite generalist with their diet, so they can eat lots of things in a day. Do you have a favourite native Australian species? I do. It's the numbat. I love numbats. Are the numbats in, in danger? Um, the numbats certainly have a vulnerable population. Um, they are native to only a small slice of Australia. They're absolutely gorgeous. I love them. And while the numbat is still hanging on, Phillips says predators like cats are already responsible for completely wiping out some of Australia's beloved species. So um, on Christmas Island, we used to have this beautiful little microbat called a Christmas Island Pripistrelli. And it was about the size and weight of a $2 coin. Okay, so a super small bat. And we identified it as a species of risk a couple of years ago. And the risks that it was suffering from were primarily invasive species, so predators that would hunt them. And we actually watched that species go extinct because it was basically preyed upon until there were nothing left of it. 
And while predators and feral cats have an impact on the populations of animals, like the noombat, they're also having an effect on the lives of everyday people. I think the people that are most affected by invasive species are landowners, are farmers, traditional land managers as well. Um, they're impacted in lots of different ways. So if we're thinking about predator species like cats and wild dogs, they'll prey on livestock. These farmers and stuff, they rely on, on their livestock, right? So, they do. Uh, yeah. And we rely on the farmers as well. So it affects us by affecting the people that support our communities. And so we have to consider that this is an, an area of um, how environments happen that causes a lot of harm. Okay, so it causes a lot of harm to farmers, it causes a lot of harm to landowners and to native species as well. So we have to weigh up and evaluate how we're going to approach this issue. But it seems the government has already made up their mind on how to deal with feral animals. Culling programs have been around for some time, and last year they rolled out even broader killing programs to manage the fox population. The Australian government takes it upon themselves to kill foxes in any way they can as a measure of protecting native species and also as a method of helping out farmers. Foxes are much more harshly legislated than cats are. You can still adopt a cat, even if it is classified as feral. But in 2014, the government issued a pest control order on the fox, making it illegal to do anything to a fox but kill it. This is Eamon Wooster, a PhD candidate at the University of Technology, Sydney. So a pest control order is a piece of legislation which effectively just classifies an animal as a pest. And once you've been classified as a pest, you're unable to be rescued or rehomed. You're not uh, legally able to have veterinary care. You're not able to be transported by a human. And uh, in the case of foxes, the local land services require you or compel you to control foxes on your land. And if you don't comply with these rules, it's a, up to an $8,500 fine. So that means if you don't kill a fox you see, that's against the law? Yeah. In Victoria, there's a bounty at the moment. It's $10 a fox. If you bring back a dead fox, you get paid 10 bucks, And that, that sort of process doesn't work. It just results in individual harm, and there's no real benefit there to anyone. So the government sees a fox as a $10 bill? Yeah, that's $10. The Victorian government, yeah, $10 a fox. And what about 1080? Um, do they yeah. using poisons as well? Yeah, so 1080 is a pretty hot topic at the moment. So 1080 is a compound which they inject into meat baits, and they claim that it has no effects on native species, but there's known flow-on effects and that there is secondary poisoning from dead carcasses. Eamon has seen videos of foxes and domestic dogs dying from the poison. And even though the government says it's a humane way for an animal to be killed, Eamon thinks the videos speak for themselves. There's another pup being poisoned by Kennedy. It causes a painful death. It can be prolonged in some animals. It's not the loss of consciousness is quite quick, but in others it's not. And there's painful seizures, there's restlessness, there's diarrhea and incontinence constantly before the animal loses consciousness and dies. And you have some personal experience with foxes, right? Yeah, I do. I volunteer with Sydney Fox Rescue. I do some work with them. They help me out with my research as well. Have you ever pet a fox? Yeah, I have lots of photos of me with foxes I can show. Really? Yeah, I would love to see them. What is petting a fox like? Um... It's great. They're really, they're really unique creatures. They're very strawy. Um, their fur is not particularly soft except on their belly. There's a few at the Fox Rescue that really love human contact, but they've mostly been raised from kits. And what does Sydney Fox Rescue do? So Sydney Fox Rescue uh, used to rescue and rehome foxes. Sydney Fox Rescue was an organization that worked to rescue foxes from the wild. Foxes that were hurt or lost and placed them with families that would take care of them. While removing a small number of foxes from the wild each year isn't on the same scale as the government's threatened species strategy, 
Sydney Fox Rescue was actually helping the government reduce the fox population. They're no longer allowed to do this due to the pest control order, but they're still caring for the foxes which they still have licenses for. We reached out to Sydney Fox Rescue, but they were reluctant to speak with us. Over the last year, the New South Wales Land Service has made it really difficult for the organization. In addition to legislative changes that prevent them from rescuing foxes, they have increased baiting in the area around the reserve where they keep foxes, making it harder for them to care for the animals they already have. We also reached out to some owners of these previously rehomed foxes, but as a condition of adopting a fox, they're unable to speak with the media. Eamon says even though Sydney Fox Rescue is removing foxes from the wild, which would actually help native species survive, the love and compassion they give to foxes will hurt the image of fear the government has created around the feral fox. The preventing of the caring for foxes comes from a place of fear. I think the government and more specifically the LLS are really scared that Sydney Fox Rescue are going to perpetuate an image of a fox as like a loving, caring animal as opposed to this vicious predator that they constantly try and perceive them as. If you go to the Threatened Species Commission or the Pest Control website, every fox picture they have is a vicious one with an endangered penguin in its mouth or a, an endangered bilby in its mouth. There's nothing of a fox with its family. There's nothing of just like a fox in the wild. It's all this vicious killer. It's the same with cats and it's the same with dingoes. And Daniel Ramp from the Centre of Compassionate Conservation thinks this vicious image of the feral fox, just like the image of the feral cat, it's not just reserved for animals, and thinks these questions are not about semantics or science, but rather about belonging. Now, if you just look to the way the the globalized world is at the moment, just within human species, there's a lot of pushback around migration, around changes that are occurring at local scales, just even this week, you know, people in Europe not wanting so many tourists because the tourists are ferals the tourists aren't from there they don't belong and so this is this same thing that that meets out i think that that's it's definitely linked to why the government doesn't like cats but it's at some point we need to accept that they belong and as part of that we've made a call on the government to provide these cats with their citizenship to australia because it's high time that they were considered a, a part of this continent and that that's not necessarily a bad thing. Thanks for listening to Think Sustainability. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe to Think Sustainability on your favorite podcast app. Just search for Think Sustainability. We're also available on iTunes. Think Sustainability is a collaboration between the University of Technology Sydney and 2SER Radio. Thank you very much to regular Think contributor Joe Koning and to Shane Anderson, who did some additional sound recording as an excuse to get out of the office and pet some cats. I've been Miles Herbert. I'll catch you guys again next week.